welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia, and today we bring back Glassnode's very own Checkmate. Checkmate, thanks for joining us once again. G'day, Nick. Great to be here and uh, good to see you again. Absolutely. We had a great time in Sydney uh, a few weeks ago, and it was great to meet you in person. Check, we want to start here with just giving the people a summary of what you do for Glassnode and why you why you're there and the analysis that you guys provide why do you find it valuable absolutely yeah um, on-chain data it really became a passion of mine uh 2018 2019 and i became fascinated with markets because they just have this it's an endless puzzle and when you're trying to solve a puzzle you need the pieces it helps you kind of contextualize and understand what's going on and really what on-chain data is it's the heartbeat of bitcoin it's every transaction it's every hash um, it's every utxo and each coin that is in the supply has a story. It's probably the right way to think about it. And that story is that somebody owned it for two years and then they sold it for a profit. Somebody bought it at the top and then they sold it for a loss. And as these coins move through the system, you can start to visualize, extract, and really understand what investors are doing. Um, holding patterns, you can look at the amount of capital flows in and out. It's really about understanding how Bitcoin is operating, not only at a network level, but at an investor level. Um, and it, it really is quite beautiful. The more, the more time you spend with it, the more you see how unique this data is. Uh, it would be amazing to have this kind of data for commodities and gold and stocks and bonds. And, uh, and who knows, one day maybe we get to that point. But for now, Bitcoin just has this, this beautiful organic signature that is written into its database. Um, and really what we do is we extract that information and turn it into, into well, insights. Um, and you know that could be for trading signals, it can be for investors, um, portfolio allocators, risk management, uh, really people who just want to understand of this asset that I own um, or I want to own, how do I manage my position? How do I deal with it using a very data-driven framework? Today's video is sponsored by River. We are extremely proud to be sponsored by River. It is a Bitcoin-only exchange, somewhere you can go to get allocated. And we love River for a few reasons, but most importantly, River does not use a custodian that is an external party. It uses its own method of multi-signature cold storage so that you and your funds are not exposed to the world of counterparty risk. Now, River even encourages you to get your coins off of the exchange as soon as possible. And they also have Lightning Network capability so you can get those coins off like that. Make sure you check out river.com slash TBL. And at its root, Glassnode is a company that uses Bitcoin nodes to ex or to set you guys up with the information, meaning that the information that Glassnodes provides with its charts and its analysis is simply an abstraction of the data available to every single Bitcoin node operator in the world. And you guys obviously synthesize that with some price data. Price data isn't in the blockchain itself, but we have the, the large chunk of the data itself is available to everyone. And that's something I want people to understand that when they subscribe to Glassnode or you guys get Glassnode insights, what you're, what you're getting is the team at Glassnode taking the data from the chain and providing the analysis, like you said, holding patterns, the information that we can extract from the data. So 
You have five charts for us today. Let's get right into it. The first one, bull market correction drawdowns. Walk us through this chart. What are we looking at here? Uh, the colors through time. Uh, the current drawdown is in black. So maybe you can walk us through this. Yeah, this is a this is a really interesting chart. I think it's a nice way to really set the scene for where we are in this cycle and really what 2023 has been thus far. Um, so it makes a very simple assumption, which is that the bottom is in, right? Now, we don't know that that's the truth, but let's just roll with that for now, that that FTX low was essentially the bottom. Um, so what this chart's looking at, you can see the price charts only for uptrends. So we've essentially isolated, we've removed what you would call the bear markets. Um, and what we're trying to look at here is in the, the colored area charts at the top, the maximum drawdown from whatever that cycle high is. So it's basically what is the deepest correction we've had um, within the uptrend. Now, what you can see is that in the black there, that's obviously our current cycle. It's remarkably shallow. When you compare it to any of the previous cycles, um, the, last, the previous one we had 2019, where we rallied to 14,000, and then at the COVID lows, it got down to 30, uh, yeah, 3,800. So a fairly substantial drawdown that we've seen in the past. Um, there's some gray lines across there, which is just your classic Fibonacci levels, just to give people a bit of a, a depth gauge. Uh, but what we can really see is that we have not had the same kind of drawdown. Really, the 2016 to 17 cycle in blue is the only comparative. Um, and even so, we haven't had a close at negative 25%, which is very normal uh, for this uptrend. And even though I mean, the sentiment's gone through you know, all the ups and downs of 2023, and yet, when you actually just measure it in terms of price performance, it's, it's incredibly robust. Uh, so to me, this speaks to a level of support. People just simply aren't willing to dispose of their coins. And there's several charts we'll come to shortly that, uh, that really illustrate this. But to me, it feels like there's a level of support that's probably a little bit underappreciated. And this is just coming at it from a simple price perspective. But uh, certainly what I find is that sometimes you visualize data a different way. You invert the chart. You remove the bear market, whatever it is. Sometimes these visualization techniques just help you go, oh, okay, I didn't quite see that in the data before, but now it's visually easy to see. And so we're talking about now a bull market that is about 12 months old, considering that we're going into November here of 2023. And in November of 2022 is when we had the FTX collapse and the ultimate bottom of this cycle. And that is the assumption here that we are also going off of is that the bottom in the FTX low of 12 months is, is the base and the black line then and the black portion of this chart is expressing the last 12 months and that we haven't really had that big of drawdowns on the way up here. Uh, and um, something I just, uh, which yeah. I think is an interesting context and framework that I've been using because um, it, it's obviously, I mean, you're always trying to navigate markets. No one knows how the futures play out. Um, what I've found is a really useful kind of grounding anchor for me when observing Bitcoin this cycle is to ask yourself the question, if you go back to the previous, uh, the previous cycle, let's say the 2018 through to 2021, that, that, that um, phase, was the bottom set in December 2018 when we sold off down to 3,000? Or was the, was the bottom in March 2020 when we sold down? Because technically that was a higher low, but there was a whole lot of up, down, chop and sideways between those two points. Um, so it's one of those interesting things that like, you know, you can expect these large scale corrections. It's very typical for Bitcoin to see these very deep pullbacks um, and we just haven't had it yet. It doesn't mean that it won't happen, but it certainly helps contextualize which one was that bottom. The answer is it probably isn't a right answer. It depends on time frame, but it's a cool way to think about it. That what was that bottom? Because it gets a whole lot of chop in between. 
Absolutely. And I always try to remind people that if we knew, we wouldn't be sitting here doing podcast episodes. We would be <laughs> trading it. Um, we would be trading it and making money off of it, uh, especially. But, you know, you and I, we prefer the research angle. And I think that's why we do this. We've also talked about writing and what that does for the research as mm -hmm. well. Uh, let's get into the next one, check here. The AVIV ratios. This is not something that I'm familiar with. So maybe you can explain it to us. What is this ratio? Yeah. What are we looking at? Absolutely. So I think a lot of people, um, if you've kind of touched on change data, you've seen it before, you're probably familiar with the MVRV ratio. Um, and what this is basically looking at, it was the, it comes from the realized price. And what the realized price is, is it values every coin at the price when it last transacted. So the best way to think about it and the way that we did as an industry for a very long time it is the average cost basis at which every coin moved. It's, it's the average investor cost basis. Now, technically that is true. The problem with the realized price and thus the MVRV ratio is it also contains Satoshi's coins, which hold a tremendous unrealized profit, but they will never spend. Same as lost coins. There's a lot of coins in the supply that somewhat skews that metric. So one way to conceptualize this, um, when we're at break-even level uh, for, for the MVRV, that's basically saying that there's, I think the number is $36 billion in unrealized profit sitting in those Satoshi coins. So to be at break even, you need 36 billion of losses held by active investors who are actually participating in the market economy. So in a way, that's a little bit of a, you're kind of penalizing the system because those coins can't react even if the unrealized profit was, you know, hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions. So... What this AVIV ratio is, um, this is something that Dave Puel and myself um, uh, worked through. It's a new framework called Coin Time Economics. And the, the simple concept that we do here is we discount lost coins with a very, very simple mathematical framework, um, which is based on how long coins have been held for. But the, the real crux of why this price model is important is it was hovering at around $30,000 for the, the most of this cycle. Um, and why this matters is it is the average cost basis to our best estimate for active investors. It removes all those lost coins and it really focuses on the portion of the market that is active and responsive uh, to, to market movements. So the fact that we've broken above that is quite meaningful because this particular metric um, over the long term has a mean and median of very close to one. And not only that, we spend 50% of our trading history below it and 50% above. And this makes it a really interesting model for mean reversion. And very rarely do you find in markets that something really does sit in the middle of a price chart over the long term. And this thing does. So why this is quite meaningful is having now broken above that level at 30,000, it's put the average investor back in profit. So that kind of psychological relief is now in the space. Uh, we've also seen that if, you know, just purely based on statistics, if we spend 50% below and 50% above, and we're now above it after an extended period below it, have we paid the bear market dues? Is it actually now time statistically that we spend some time above that level? Um, and what it also provides is a level where at the very least investors can look at it and say, well, in theory, it should act as a support from this point on. Um, and if it doesn't, then you really start talking about a deeper correction. Maybe that becomes a, a bit of a risk mitigation or, or management strategy. So um, from a psychological investor standpoint, from a uh, statistical standpoint, that break above 30,000 was quite meaningful. And I think this particular chart and all the, the rationale that goes behind it is, uh, is quite meaningful for, for people to be aware of. Excellent. So, uh, you know, in summary here, it is a metric that we use both the realized price and MVRV 
And what Glassnode has done here with both Dave and Checkmate is they have adapted this ratio and this metric to account for lost and old coins that aren't market impactful. And so uh, what we see is a new level to which we compare the co uh, a cost basis comparison. And so instead of using realized price, we're using this new, this new metric. Okay, so let's get into the next chart here. Short-term holder supply and exchange balances. What are the takeaways for us? Yeah, this is a so this is starting to get into. Um, I've had a lot of questions about the halving coming up. So I, I sat down the other day and uh, put together some charts trying to answer the question of okay, what 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 is the halving going to do? At the very least, let's put the numbers around the what well, you know. In theory, it should be a supply squeeze, right? That's the the, the thesis. Let's see if that's a real thing. So because um, the next three charts are related, and the, the story arc is is kind of it follows, and I'll, I'll touch on this chart. Um, how much supply is out there? And the question is, how do you measure or what's the heuristic or what's the type of data uh, that you would use to assess, let's call it available supply? The other side of that equation is the stored or the saved supply, which is, okay, if the coins are not available and freely circulating, then they're in an investor's wallet somewhere and, and tightly held. How do we measure that using on-chain data? And then the last one we'll touch on is all about the rate of accumulation. How quickly is the supply coming into the market via issuance as that's kind of our baseline. And then we compare that to the amount of supply that's going offline into that stored, um, those stored buckets. So this first chart, um, uh, and this is really where I think Glassnode, um, you know, really pioneers in terms of the, uh, the on-chain data for BTC. Um, in the orange, we've got our exchange balances. And this really takes advantage of a lot of things. There's our manual work. Where we actually go in there and our data science team um, picks up and goes, this is how Binance Wallet behaves. This is how Coinbase behaves. And then we build algorithms that go and look for more wallets out there that look like this, uh, which we call clustering. And uh, what we do is we essentially say, we, we've got a very high degree of certainty. Um, you know, there's always probability bands around these things, but these are the wallets that we have a high confidence um, uh, kind of fit the Binance pattern or the, the Coinbase pattern. Now, naturally, these coins are going to be owned by someone who's an exchange user, but they're also those coins which are freely tradable. They're the, you know, they're the ones that if you're on the order book, they're coins that would be reflected in that, uh, in that space. The other one we have is what we call short-term holder supply. So this is a separate region, which is um, it's outside exchange balances, but they're coins that moved in the last five months. Now, why do we use five months? Once a coin has been held for that period of time, the probability of it being spent decays massively. It's well and truly below 1% per day. Um, and it decays uh, uh, as the longer it's been held. So that five month is really a bit of a threshold. So the way to think about this, we've essentially summed up together here, the amount of coins that are on exchange reserves, which you know are basically one buy or sell button away from, uh, from changing hands, and coins that have been withdrawn, but recently moved. And they're therefore more likely to be responsive to price. Now the blue curve is then taking just a simple ratio of both of those supply regions and the circulating, just to say what's the percentage. And uh, we're essentially plumbing all time lows as we speak. So it's telling us that the amount of coins which are either recently transacted or one simple sell button away from exchanging hands, we're actually at an all time low in terms of relative supply. So. There's a number of different heuristics we can use to measure available supply. Um, I think these two are nice, both individually, but also as a combination. And even in combination, we're seeing that a lot of these coins 
there's just not that many available, um, certainly on a relative basis, which, uh, you know, it kind of shows that strength of the hodler within the Bitcoin cohort. And so it's, again, heading into the having, what you're, what you're talking about is coins that are not moving because people are holding going into this event. And that is a pattern that is independent from this issue of the having only affects supply and doesn't affect demand. That's the counter argument to the having creating bull markets is that havings cannot affect demand. They can only affect supply. However, from a demand perspective, you're, you're not factoring in the fact that people buy and then withdraw going into the having itself. And so you must balance these, uh, you must balance these factors out when thinking about the having, is it bullish or not? Okay. Yep. And I think the, um, the third, the, the last chart we'll touch on today is, is really exactly what you just said, these different waves of investor behavior. Um, and that's, that's actually a really good framework for when you're thinking about on-chain data. Same as price. Price, you're looking at investor behavior because it's fear and greed against time. On-chain data is all about human psychology. What we see are these waves of people taking action. Uh, but we'll get, we'll get to it. Let's, uh, we can go to the next chart. Yes. And, you know, each time that we do some on-chain analysis here at the Bitcoin layer, because we are more of a macroeconomic and traditional markets-driven research shop that has a Bitcoin thesis, and we actually delve into the on-chain, it's really hard to unsee how impactful this data can be for traders, right? And for those that are not trying to just hold throughout, but are actually trying to time markets. It's fascinating to watch. And I know that your clients are traders, you know, they're investors, they're investing houses, they buy and sell, they don't just hold. And the information that you guys provide really contributes to that process. And so I do recommend people go check out Glassnode, especially if you are in the trading side of things try to get these insights and extract because it's not our area of expertise, but it is part of our framework. And that's an important distinction. That's why we have people like Checkmate on. And that's why we do cite glass node charts in our analysis. The next one you have here is illiquid and long-term holder supply divergence. Okay. So what are we looking at here? Yep, sure. So um, what we touched on in that previous chart, and we've got it reflected here as well in the orange and the uh, and the red, that's that short-term holder and exchange balances. And um, the way we, we work at Glassnode, we use things you often hear us say cohorts um, or heuristics. These are essentially different patterns. And the question is, how do we want to slice and dice the supply to understand where it's going? And there's different methods that you can use. So in the orange, we've got our uh, exchange balances. And let's consider that a measure of, or these hot colors um, are measures of available supply. Supply that's circulating, it's mobile. Um, it's kind of what's available in the existing stock to purchase with you know, some you know, a reasonable probability. On the flip side of that, we have uh, a series of cooler colors. Um, and there's a few different heuristics in here, but you can clearly see there's a very strong divergence between these. So the inverse of the red curve, which is short-term holder supply, which is at all-time lows, um, is long-term holder supply. These are coins that have crossed over that age threshold 
And you can actually see the um, uh, around the 2021 peak, you can see short-term holder supply in red really climbs in this big kind of hill shape at the same time that long-term dips down because they're inverse of each other. And the way to think about that, that is old hands, people who bought in the previous bear cycle and held for a long time, selling to new investors, right? Taking some chips off the table. This and is can I just pattern. ask you a question here? With this 2021 area, with the spike in red and the dip in blue, does that happen when they put the coin onto the exchange? Is yes. That, is that when that is marked? It's not necessarily when they sell. We're assuming that they sell, right? But it the movement itself. So you guys at home, you have to think about this dip in 2021 and the spike in red in 2021 as what Czech said, the long-term holders putting the exchange from their wallet, from their cold storage, onto the exchange. We assume that that is going to result in a sale and judging by the price action in late 2021, that that is something that did in fact happen. So sorry exactly. to interrupt. Yeah. No, no. It's, it, and these are all important nuances. And quite often, uh, it's actually a topic I get asked quite a lot. It's like, well, what if they didn't sell? It's like, yes, you're absolutely right that on an individual level, some guy may have just deposited because he wanted to put it on the exchange, but a lot of other people also sold. And, and the thing is that, you know, um, a good example is we look at metrics about how much loss or profit get locked in. And uh, there's a lot of loss that happens near the bottom because people capitulate and they finally just sell everything. And uh, I get a lot of comments saying, oh, but what about tax loss harvesting? And my response is people don't usually tax loss harvest in a raging bull market. They usually do it when the market's down significantly. So you're still talking about this investor pattern that happens around these points in time. Um, and what's also quite interesting, just because I think this is a really interesting topic, um, the long-term holders, we've got a report that actually describes uh, when they start to sell. And almost invariably, they wait for a new all-time high. They're this very patient cohort where that blue line generally climbs. Sometimes it goes through little dips and wiggles here and there, but it generally is in an uptrend until we break the all-time high and then it really starts to spend. And it shows that kind of, uh, I guess you call it experience of these people who've been around Bitcoin's volatility. They understand how it works and they know that when things get overheated, we go through a multi-year bear market. And some of these people are essentially reallocating back to cash, other assets, and essentially waiting out the storm. Right. So it's one of these really interesting dynamics that uh, plays out time and time again. Yeah. And 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 what your analysis is is suggesting is that the blue line will continue to climb until we get to 70,000 or above. And then the veterans will start slowly putting their coins on the exchange, preparing for the blow off top so that they can take profits. And then you will see the red line start to climb. But as of right now, a massive divergence in that coins are being held. And you have this, the green line is the hodled or lost, right? And so Again, you're even stripping out maybe some of the assumptions that you had there just to show people that, hey, whether they're being hodled or lost, the number is increasing here as exchange balances go down. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's that's the uh, that's the concept here. So in the dark blue, there's long term supply. We use a time based uh, metric. How long has the coin been held? In the light blue, there's one called illiquid supply. Um, we use a, a wallet heuristic about spending. So if you're an exchange, lots of coins come in and lots of coins go out. So your ratio of inflow to outflow is very high, um, which would make them a liquid or highly liquid coin. 
So illiquid is the inverse of that, someone who's withdrawn and has not spent. So it's another way, rather than using time as a heuristic, we're using the wallet's kind of nature or character. And then the green line, as you said, um, so this actually relates back to the previous chart, uh, which we expanded on in coin time economics. Um, that's that huddled lost coins. We've actually given a new name, which is vaulted supply. And vaulted supply is it uses a similar time-based metric, but as you said, it really the way to think about it, it is that deep huddled or lost. And we're trying to look at the most concrete, deep, um, uh, coldest of storage is the best way to think about that curve. Um, and really, the the confluence here is you're seeing all of these uh, measures of stored or saved supply trending higher, whilst your available supply trends lower, which you know really makes a, a very interesting supply dynamic. Okay, and walk me through here the y-axis on the right-hand side. You have three different scales, just so yes. that I can understand. And then as a secondary question to that, I'm assuming that these lines are not overlapping in that the sum of them equals 19 million, or is it, uh, is it, yes. Okay. They yeah, so, so no, no, no. So, uh, yeah, okay. so you're right. So the axis is purely for visualization. So really the trend here is more important than the absolute values. Um, uh, there are some which are going to be uh, interrelated. So the, the red and the green, sorry, the red and the dark blue, long and short-term holders, um, plus exchange balances will give you 19.5. So they're a related set. The light blue and the orange, they are illiquid and the orange is highly liquid and liquid, they will sum to 19.5. Um, and the green one the green one actually does have a counterpart, although it's not shown here. But, uh, but yeah, the axis is more so just to get the visualization, but it's kind of looking at all of these things moving in, the, in opposite directions. Got it. So one more time so that I can understand. Red plus- Red and dark blue. Dark blue equal the current supply. Correct. And the Correct. Red, plus exchange okay. balances. So our long-term and our short-term holder heuristic excludes exchanges, because as you were saying before, that's kind of the, the, the zone that, that separates these two on the uh, transfer. Okay. So then the red line is using the middle uh, Y axis. So about four and a half million and the dark blue is using the light blue axis. So about Correct. 15 million. So that's how you get four and a half plus 15 equals 19 and a half. Correct. Got it. Absolutely. Yep. Um, go ahead. Check. No, no, that's it. So really, it's just kind of showing that that interesting divergence. And um, what's cool about this is you're coming at the approach from different heuristics. And what I actually love, and I certainly encourage people looking at on-chain data, the confluence is everywhere. So a great example of this, during that, that hump we were talking about before, where the, the long-term holders sell to the short-term holders. During that period of time, we also see lots of profit getting taken because coins that are very old are moving at a higher price. So profit is taken. Um, we measure that time that's being spent out of the system called coin day destroyed. You'll see lots of coin day destruction, lots of profit taking, an increase in young supply and a decrease in old supply. So you really can get a very holistic picture using these different heuristics and tools. Um, and there's only a handful of these different, we call them primitives, uh, whether it's profit loss, coin days, supply. But really what we look for is are we seeing a confluence of all these different events that says we're probably getting to a cycle top, we're getting to a cycle low? What are the investors' behavior patterns and how do they get printed on chain? Okay, supply storage versus issuance. We're looking at bear market accumulations over the last three bear markets. Uh, and now we are in this one, instead of assuming that we are in the new bull market, it actually, while it's the other side of the same coin, it's assuming that we are at the tail end 
or exiting the the last bear market. So what are we looking at here with these waves, three waves of accumulation within each bear market? Yep. So so for this one here, the, uh, the, the concept is that we've looked at the available supply and we've seen, okay, it's, it's actually declining at a very meaningful rate. And on a relative scale, we're essentially at all-time lows. Uh, the next one we looked at was the divergence saying, okay, across several of these heuristics, supply is being stored clearly and su- available supply is decreasing. So the next question is to say, okay, well, what is the rate of change of this concept? And here we're just looking at the supply stored because in theory, if we're looking at the halving, which is the orange, uh, the orange curve in the background there is the monthly issuance. And the logic is what happens or what's the, the amount of saving that's going on if we then cut the, the issuance by 50%, what's that impact going to look like? So what I've done here, I have chopped off so that technically the blue is, is wavy. It goes positive and negative for supply being stored, long-term holder supply going up. Or there is a negative side, which I've actually chopped off this chart. So we're only looking at supply storage going up. Um, but there is obviously an inverse to that when they're spending, which you can see um, the orange uh, or the gap between those blue zones is going to happen in bull markets. That's when they're spending. So there's actually a negative storage by that, that logic. So what we're basically looking at is the monthly issuance in orange, comparing how much supply on a 30-day basis is going into that long-term holder storage. And what we can see is that there's kind of three different waves. And this is that investor behavior that we were talking about before. The first wave typically happens somewhere around the middle of the bear market. And what this is showing you is people have seen, let's let's take the 2021 cycle. It showed up on that first sell-off when we went from the all-time high at 64,000 and we rapidly sold off down to 29. There's a lot of people who stepped in and actually acquired their coins during that sell-off. They see this as kind of like the first, the bull market is probably over. You don't know that at the time, which is why you see a very, very sharp wave of this demand come in. Lots of people are very excited about it, but they don't actually know the bear market's in, but they've seen a 50% correction. Or in the 2017 market, it sold off from 20,000 to 6,000. People kind of go, wow, that's, I mean, I didn't think I'd see 6,000 again. I'll step back in. So that first wave is kind of the start of the bear market. They don't know that, but a lot of these people buy and hold onto their coins. The second wave tends to show up when it's pretty dire out there. We're talking about the FTX period. We're talking about halfway through 2019. Um, This is kind of that second wave of the deepest part of the bear. This is when things are actually pretty dire, but this is the wave that actually establishes the price floor. This is what actually puts the bottom into the bear market and kind of ends uh, ends that, that trend. And then we get wave three and wave three tends to show up through the halving. And this is that wave of people who are essentially front running. It's, it's almost like observing that front running behavior where sure, the halving doesn't affect demand from a technical perspective, but people also go, hey, it's coming up on my watch. I can see that every four years this thing comes. It tends to go up after the halving. So people kind of manifest this, this event. So it's this fascinating observation of this is how people kind of behave. This is our this is our collective patterns. And what I think is really interesting here, you can see that the magnitude of the storage typically is of a similar scale each cycle. It's not as if people are saving less coins on a BTC volume. They're actually saving the same or more each cycle. And yet that halving keeps plugging along in the background. So the new coins coming in by miners is declining, declining, declining. And just to put some, some dollars on this, um, at the yearly highs where we currently are, 
uh, I think it's on yeah, on a monthly basis, about $880 million is, is issued to miners. That's the, the total miner revenue. If we go back to the FTX loads, at the bottom of the bear market, it was half of that, $440 million per month. The halving is essentially going to take us back from where we currently are to uh, FTX loads in terms of issuance. So that's $440 million of extra supply that is just not going to be there. And you have this kind of third wave is already in play. So um, it really is quite an interesting thing. But uh, to me, you know, you, you look at these dynamics and, you know, sometimes the back of the envelope numbers, you go, it's it's starting to get a bit squeezy out there. There's not that many coins available. And the hodling doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. And then you, you kind of put all these things together. And in many ways, it explains why the market does so well through the halving, because investors will it into being. Breaking news here, Checkmate claims that the halving actually affects <laughs> investor behavior, therefore demand. Checkmate of Glassnode, thank you so much for joining us once again today at the Bitcoin layer from Europe this time. Uh, we, we appreciate your time and your analysis. We'll get all these charts out there for the viewers, uh, for them to see. Please remind people where they can find you and all of your excellent ana uh, analysis. Absolutely. So you, you'll find me at, uh, at underscore checkmatey on, on uh, what's it called? Twitter or X now. Um, uh, for, for Glassnode, we have two real, this is kind of a flagship and how a lot of people get their first touch point. Um, we've obviously got at Glassnode for, or for Twitter, um, but we have an insights portal, which is uh, insights.glassnode. And uh, that will give you all of our weekly reports. And each week we try and pick the, the charts that we believe explain what happened in the previous week. And through this process, We've really innovated and built a lot of tools that we now as part of our regular repertoire. Um, we also have a at Glassnode YouTube channel, uh, which essentially is a video format of that, uh, of that newsletter called The Week on Chain. And uh, really what we're doing there is we're kind of exploring, I mean, us ourselves, we know this is a very new discipline and we are exploring the tools uh, and developing them as we go. Um, and, you know, we've been doing this for three years now and we've got a, uh, we've got a pretty good catalog of tools that we can continue to use. And uh, we're really starting to round out the edges and find out where the, the edge sits. So uh, certainly would encourage people to jump on there and check it out. And, uh, you know, um, come at it looking at for um, investor psychology. It's all about looking at investors and how they behave and how their actions are printed on the chain itself. Absolutely. And we, we agree. We are, while we're not active, uh, I would say we're not active experts in on-chain. We're not on the outside looking in. We're more having a, a monthly coffee so that we can understand actually what's going on inside checkmate thanks again and we'll catch you guys next time at the bitcoin layer thank you mate it was a pleasure make sure you check out river.com tbl for all of your bitcoin exchange needs we love river and the way they operate they use their own multi-signature cold storage solution so that your funds are not held on a third-party custodian's balance sheet Thanks again for checking out the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. We'll catch you next time.